We're continuing uh, this morning in a sermon series we started last week, The ABCs of Christianity. Uh, For three or four summers now, we've looked at that series, just what are the basics? What are the basics of what we are to believe, but also what are the basic expectations of a Christ follower? What are we to be about? And so we've followed through the letters, and today we're on the letter P, but it's not just P, we're going to also tackle the, the letter Q. So this is a twofer, all right? So even if you don't like the sermon, two for one, it's a sale, all right? Matter of fact, if you don't like the sermon, mind your P's and Q's, and I don't want to hear about it, all right? What would you preach on if you're preaching on the letter P? Maybe we need to talk about pain. That'd be a great Bible study. What do you do in your pain? Physical, long-term pain or long-term emotional pain? As I've talked to people in our congregation, through congregations, throughout my, my ministry, and just heard this constant refrain, I don't know how people go through pain without Jesus. I just don't know. A God who's entered into our pain, bore our pain for us and can redeem it and heal it. But also the opposite of that, pleasure. We just went through a Bible study on the book of Ecclesiastes last fall. What's a biblical view of pleasure and how as Christians are we to enjoy that but to also be careful with that? What about the word purpose? There's a reason Rick Warren has sold millions of books because in our culture and in our world, we have lost any kind of idea of purpose for for family, purpose for why do we work? What a great study that would be to just search the scriptures and say, Lord, show me your plans and purposes for every facet of my life. Or maybe the word prosperity. That's a big word today. If you watch the TV, that's, that's a big thing. Now listen, we have the favor of God on us, but we've got to be careful with that. I grew up in the Northeast and uh, I remember on TV seeing Reverend Ike. I don't know if you remember Reverend Ike, but you could send money to his ministry and he would send you at one point a gold coin. On one side of that, on one side of that coin were the words good luck and on the other side of that coin was the word blessing. If you gave him enough money, he would send you that coin and anytime you were having a tough time, he would say you have the prosperity of God on you. You just flip that coin and you either got good luck or you have a blessing. There you go. Do we have the favor of God? Yeah. But we have to be careful that we're only sharing what the scriptures say about that. Someday I want us to talk together as well about persecution. More people were martyred for their faith last century than all the other centuries combined. We need to be faithful as we do most Sunday mornings to continue to pray for our brothers and sisters who are putting their very lives on the line uh, to hold up the gospel. But this morning, I want us to look at, again, not just the letter P, but also the, 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 the letter Q, and see what is it in Jesus' life here? What do we see as a mark of his life, not just here, but throughout all the scriptures? What is it that we see? Now listen, we've been through this passage before. Back in 2019, we looked at Jesus walking on water, and we looked at the interactions there between Jesus and Peter, but also the other disciples. And so I won't give time to that. I'll let you go back to the walking on water uh, sermon series. What I want us to do, though, is to do good Bible study, as we were talked about with our children. What's behind that? What comes before that incredible, incredible, miraculous walking on water? 
What comes before the, the, just the touching of the hem of his garment, the fringe of his garment, what comes before those healings? And what is it that you and I see here? It's prayer. And it's Jesus getting alone and being quiet before God. Jesus had a chaotic schedule, but as you watch his life, he is never busy or rushed. Had, a, had an incredible ministry, yet you watch his life in the midst of that, of that busyness, he's never busy. And you watch him as well, here in Matthew especially, you see him intentionally and carefully carve out times to get alone with God, quiet before God, and to have a time of prayer. It's different emphasis. As you look at the different Gospels, you see each one emphasize something different. For, for Mark's Gospel, prayer comes before a great moment of, de, of decision or there before or in the temptation. In Luke 8, there's eight different prayers. So you see Jesus praying in different ways throughout that Gospel. In John's Gospel, you're just reminded of the deep relationship within the triune God that Jesus is always in communication. That's what's available to us. As he and the Father are one, we can have that unity with God, that it's this constant communication. But as we go through Matthew's gospel, it's not just this morning, evening prayer time that any pious Jew would have practiced, but it's this intimate alone time that you see all the time. Whether it's in his temptation or when he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, get in your prayer closet, go into your inner room, or here where he's getting alone. It's just like Jesus to send him to the other side, to reach out to other people. But before that, there has to be alone time with God. There's a recent survey. Of everything you have, of everything you have, what would you not give up for 24 hours? Did you know your wallet was not on the top of that list? Now think about all the things you have. People who took that poll would rather drive without their wallet and go a day without their wallet than with what? Their phone. And there's a lot of good that comes from that phone. But it's also this constant distraction. We can never get alone. You try to go to bed, but there's texts and Facebook messages, whatever. You just can never get alone. There's constant distraction right beside us all the time. I've shared this before in a Wednesday night Bible study, but in 1968, somebody was doing documentaries about sound, and it said in 1968, it only took him 15 hours to get undisturbed sound when he was in nature filming animals where there wouldn't be a plane a car or different things in 2006 to get undisturbed sound it takes more than 2,000 hours of recording time because people always have noise or distraction going on we live that kind of life and Jesus had that kind of life it was a busy life a fruitful life an engaging life but what we see in his life also he routinely withdrew. He got quiet. He got alone with God, and he prayed. It was regular for him to be alone. I don't know about you, for any parents or maybe in your friendships, but I've got a child that, that really struggles with that. And he's not here today, so I can talk about it. Just can't be alone. 
He doesn't play video games by himself, but it's always got to be multiplayer. He's always got to have that phone on him because he doesn't want to be left out of what, what's being said. He he's always has that distraction. I even saw this week where apparently, and I didn't read the article, but I saw the title of the article on a news uh, online service that a, that a groom got in, tr- in trouble during a wedding because he checked his phone right before the bride came down. We just are never alone. I just finished the re- reading the book. I told you uh, I was reading the book by Dr. Timothy Tennant, president of Asbury Seminary, called For the Body. Listen, it's right. Uh, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. We are a body. By definition, we have to be incarnate with one another. We have to be together. Christianity is not a solid, a religion that is solitary. We need the body. It is right that we gather for worship. It's right that we serve together. It's right that we pray together. It's right that we study together. If we are a part of the body of Christ, then we have to be a part of the body of Christ. And Jesus models that. Whether it's getting together in a small group with the inner three of the disciples or getting with a a larger group of 12, like a class meeting or a Sunday school, or getting together with a large body of hundreds to sometimes thousands, Jesus always does life with others. We can't miss that. But a mark of his life throughout Matthew's gospel is he gets alone. I love what Thomas Merton once said, as soon as you are really alone, you're with God. Now listen, there are things you and I can't learn of God without others, so we need each other. But how critical it is in our crazy pace of life, with all the right responsibilities that we have, that we look at the life of Jesus, watch him, and let our lives match his life of prayer and being quiet before the Lord. Now, what are the results? When Jesus prays beforehand, what are the results? Now, you're going to say, as they did at the end of this walking on water miracle, Jesus can do that just because he's Jesus. He is certainly God's son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is the king of all kings, and he has all power and all authority. You can't miss that in this miracle. He's basically telling all the other gods he pays zero attention to them because he's walking on water, the water that controls them, the tides that control them. I walk on your gods. He is God's son with all authority. But isn't it interesting That in so many times in Jesus' life, what precedes the miracle is prayer. Verse 23, he gets alone. Yes, he could have done it because he is God's son, but what precedes the miracle is prayer. And it's not just this walking on water, but later this reminder that they bring everybody from everybody from the from the surrounding area, and they just touch the hem of his garment. This hem, really, if you remember in Bible studies, that everybody would have individual tassels at the bottom of of the robe. You could grab somebody by that tassel, take them into court, and say, "This this person I'm taking into court. It's a unique tassel. Maybe that's what's going through the woman with the blood issue in, through her mind. If I can just touch that." Unique tassel by his authority. Him, not all these doctors and all this money I've spent. It's he has the authority. He can do this. And by touching that, she's healed. It's incredible miracles here that happen. But it's a reminder to us that prayer precedes them. 
You do not walk on water without first falling on your face in prayer. You don't share your faith well. You don't do relationships well. You don't work well. You don't do conflict well. You don't parent well. If we have not first found ourselves in prayer, as C.S. Lewis, paraphrasing C.S. Lewis, praying is not just to bring about the great works of God. Praying really is the great work of God. And you see that. It it just marks every part of Jesus' life. Just before the raising of Lazarus, that last of the seven miracles or signs in John's gospel, before he says, Lazarus, come forth, what does he do? Father. It's prayer. Before he has the wisdom and discernment to pick 12 disciples, what what is it? It's all night prayer. Here in this gospel, before there's walking on water and healing of so many different people, it's prayer. Later when we get to Matthew 17, uh, and again, I want to be very careful as your pastor. It's an interpolation. You find a couple of instances of this in the New Testament because in Matthew 17, the disciples are going to say, how come we couldn't exercise this demon? And he's going to say, well, it's because you didn't pray and fast. That actually has brackets around it. Sometimes uh, we don't find that word, just like we don't find the second half of Mark 16. We don't find it in every ancient manuscript. So we put brackets around it, but it'll preach, so I'm going to say it. Uh, it's prayer. The reason you all couldn't remove that entity is because it's got to be prayer. I don't know if you've been watching the TV this week, but there's all kinds of previews of a movie called The Conjuring. The devil made me do it. Now listen, I've been reading John Wesley's journals. Let me just tell you something. The Conjuring, Insidious, even The Exorcist, those are kindergarten classes to what I read this week in John Wesley's journal about an experience of one was a 17-year-old girl, was his guest, 17 to 19-year-old girl, and another girl, and what was going on in their lives. And he and his brother John went into that room seeing all the wild things of spiritual oppression in that room. And you know what the answer was? It wasn't throwing holy water. It wasn't some weird reading of stuff from a book. What was it? One hour of prayer. Two straight hours of prayer. In the third hour of prayer, John Wesley testifies that God broke in and freed those two girls. It's prayer. It's always prayer. And so we look at our lives and we say, Lord, I'm gutting it out. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm living out my responsibilities. I'm trying to be holy. All of those things are needed, expected, and wonderful. But you watch Jesus' life before that miracle, before the, the gift of a miracle or a miraculous life, it's prayer. Shared before when we looked at this, there's a book called, If You Want to Walk on Water, What Do You Got to Do? If You Want to Walk on Water, You Got to Get Out of the Boat. I endorse that book. I haven't read that book, but a lot of my friends have read that book, and they love that book. So that's right. But what, but what Matthew 14 says Before that act of faith, and by the way, Matthew 17 about that too, it's really faith. Faith of a mustard seed, they could have cast cast that out. But if you want to get out, if you want to walk on water, it's not just get out of the boat. You've got to get in your prayer closet. 
You've got to get in that inner room. You want to have that kind of life where the miraculous happens in your life. It's not just faith, but it's a reminder here, the part of the reason, at least what's modeled for us here in Jesus' life, it's got to be prayer. Alone prayer, quiet prayer. And as your pastor, knowing I was going to preach on that, I had a, uh, an emergency come up in an extended family member's life this week, a health concern, and I got in my prayer closet, in my office. And by the way, I'm 6'4", 250, and pretty wide. That's a small closet for a prayer closet. But I got in that closet and got on my knees. And let me tell you how God broke in. I can't tell you because I'm over 50. Ten seconds on the ground like that, I cramped up in one of my legs, and there was all kinds of racket, me bouncing off the walls, trying to get the cramp out. And there's going to be distractions like that, right? Responsibilities. Uh, cable TV and sports. We almost didn't make the wedding yesterday. We were watching the ninth inning in room 122, watching the state game before the 4.30 wedding. It's all kinds of distractions. There's all kinds of good things that will get in the way but what you see Jesus doing here, before the miracles come, it's prayer. I love, what, I love what Eugene Peterson says. When we are noisy and when we are hurried, we are incapable of intimacy. Deep, complex, personal relationships. If God is the living center of redemption, it is essential that we be in touch with and respond to that personal will. If God has a will for this world and we want to be in on it, we must be still long enough to find out what it is, for certainly we are not going to learn that by watching the evening news. How critical it is for us to be still Baron von Hugel had a wise word on this subject. He said, nothing was ever accomplished in a stampede. Is your life a stampede right now? Mine feels like that. We're prepping for a wedding. One of my, child, one of my children uh, is about to go to nursing school. We're getting everything ready for that. There's so many summer activities. All of these are great and wonderful things. Is your life a stampede? You watch Jesus' life and all these miracles before, all these miracles that are about to happen, happen after, but usually at every point just before, there's alone time and Jesus praying. It is r- rare for us to do something well for God without first receiving from God. Anybody remember what an ice house is? There's a story years ago that people would sometimes have an ice house and people would bring ice to it and they'd cover it with sawdust and and that ice could last for weeks and months, right, to try to keep your food fresh before there were uh, refrigerators and things like that. And there's a story one time of a young man who was doing some work in the ice house and he came out and realized he had lost his watch in the sawdust. And so three or four guys went in there and scrambled and moved around trying to find it and they just couldn't find it. And he assumed it was going to be lost because eventually the ice would melt, it would get into the watch and all was ruined. But a little eight-year-old kid, after they had tried, went in and two minutes later he comes out with the watch. You're like, hey, how'd you find that? Where'd you find that? He said, it was simple. I just got down on the ground in the sawdust, and I was still, and I was quiet. Tick, 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 tick. This is when phones, uh, clocks ticked. Tick, tick, tick. <laughs> it's because he was still, 
he didn't miss out because he was still. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for the model we see in your son, Jesus, who can do all things by his authority, and yet he not only desired, he kept a regular prayer time with you. Father, we all struggle. I struggle in that. Lord, you know that. Help us all to be faithful and intentional, to enjoy you, to meet with you, but also so that we can receive from you your will, your purposes, your goodness, your your forgiving grace, your strength, your patience, your kindness. Bless us. Help us to be faithful in our prayers so that, Father, you might even move more mightily in and through our lives. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.